Hi, this is Allison Sheridan with the NoSilicast podcast, hosted at podfeet.com, a technology geek podcast with an ever so slight Apple bias. Today is Sunday, June 7th, 2020, and this is show number 787. Well, this week's chit chat across the pond was unlike any other before it. I've always tried to make the Podfeet podcast a place you can count on to just focus on tech and nothing else. We've really needed to have that oasis in the past few months. But this week, I decided to take a pause and talk to Rob Dunwood of the SMR podcast about what it's like being a black man in America. This was, of course, inspired by the death of George Floyd at the hands of the police in Minneapolis. I wanted to have Rob on to describe to us what the daily life is like for black men across this country. I've heard some of Rob's stories before, but I was floored at the relentlessness of how he and his fellow African-Americans are treated by the police as a matter of course. It's not an easy episode to listen to, but probably the most important chit-chat I've ever recorded. I hope you'll open your minds and listen. By the way, if you'd rather read, I've included the transcript of the call uh, created by otter.ai. I'd like to thank listener Heidi Proctor for urging me to create the transcript for the hearing impaired, but even more for doing the tough job of editing out any mistakes otter.ai made. We left it very conversational with all of the ums and ahs you'd normally hear when someone's talking, but the pure transcription errors have been removed. There are timestamps for each section, so if anything isn't clear, you can jump to that time in the audio conversation for clarification. Five years ago, I created a video tutorial for Screencast Online all about my favorite Mac application, Audio Hijack. In the intervening five years since I did that tutorial, Rogue Amoeba has continued to add new features to the app. I decided it was time to do an update video on Screencast Online to explain those new features, like the ability to capture Siri and voiceover and redirect it to the output you desire. Those updates were cool, but I still had plenty of time to include a new tutorial on another Rogue Amoeba app called Loopback. This application allows you to combine physical hardware devices into virtual audio sources. Now, that's kind of a complicated way of saying you can do things like make an application such as QuickTime into an audio input to a Zoom call so your fellow Zoomers can hear what you're playing. You've heard me talk about how I use Loopback to create the transcriptions of all the lovely 15-year anniversary show recordings using otter.ai. It has so many uses. Anyway, it was a delight to create a video tutorial for Screencast Online of both of these amazing applications. Remember, you can get a free seven-day trial of the Screencast Online service and watch this video and all of the back catalog during those seven days. It's dangerous, though. I'm sure you'll want a subscription after that. Next up, we've got a tiny tip by Andrew Darlow. I was so impressed by the 15-year anniversary show and everyone's outpouring of love and respect for what you and Steve do every single week. And I'm happy to be able to submit two quick tips. The first is a podcast app that's only available for iOS. It's called Overcast. I'm not going to say too much about it, except that after looking at many different options, this was the best that I could find. The reason why I'm highlighting Overcast is for a simple but very important feature. I found that in order to get to sleep quickly, I can listen to podcasts, not the NoSilicast, of course, because 
that's just always keeping my mind active and it would be hard to sleep. But like a history podcast or something like that, I find I put that on. One of my favorites is called Industrial Revolutions. And the nice thing about Overcast is if you're in the play section, there's a little clock on the bottom. And if you hit it, you can either tell it to sleep the app at the end of the episode, or you can pick how many minutes until it stops. Usually I put in 12 minutes, and I can't remember the last time in which I was still up in that 12 minutes. So it's really great for me, and this may help other people who can't always get to sleep quickly. Now, what I then realized is I was so addicted to this that I wanted this also for YouTube. And I don't pay for any special YouTube subscriptions, so I just have to keep the brightness on my screen really low because unlike with Overcast, you can't just hit the sleep-wake button on the side of an iPhone and have the screen go dark but continue to play the music or the podcast. But I could start playing a YouTube video. I could either turn my phone around or somehow just bring the brightness down as far as possible. And then Apple, in their infinite wisdom, in the clock app, if you open that up and go to timer, you can set a specific time. And then on the bottom, it says when timer ends, I choose stop playing. I then hit start and like magic, after whatever time I choose, let's say 10 minutes or 12 minutes, it will stop playing whatever is currently playing. So that's my tip for today. Thank you again for all you do, and over and out. Thank you so much, Andrew. That was fantastic. Um, I know a lot of people like to fall asleep to podcasts. I only listen to them when I'm out uh, running around doing errands or vacuuming or uh, chasing the dog around, things like that. But I was fascinated by that uh, tiny tip about how to get YouTube to stop playing. That's really I, I had no idea that the clock timer could affect what you were listening to. That is really, that's a fantastic tip. Back in 2017, when Bart gave us an update on how he was dramatically changing his health, he explained that he was using the smart withing scale to monitor his success. I loved the idea of a connected scale to track my weight and other metrics, so I bought one of my own. The Withings scale we purchased was the Body Cardio from Withings.com, and it costs a whopping $150. I know that's a lot for a scale, but Bart's explanation of the advanced metrics really sold me. He explained that it didn't just record and track your weight, it also measures your body fat percentage, water, and bone mass. He explained that flipping out because you gained a pound could be avoided if you could see that it was actually a change in water percentage. The scale also calculates body mass index, or BMI, which is a ratio used to determine if you're at a healthy weight. Recently, WISE, the company that brought us the inexpensive WISE cam I'm so wild about, came out with their own smart scale. The WISE scale is surprisingly only $20. Lindsay wanted a smart scale, so I told her I'd buy her the one from WISE, but test it for the Nocilla Castaways first. I wasn't super optimistic that a $20 scale could be anywhere near as good as the $150 withing scale, but I figured it was worth $20 to find out. In this review, I'm going to compare and contrast the capabilities of the newly released Y scale to the Withings Body Cardio scale. The Withings design allows two people to share a scale. 
They use an interesting method to figure out who's weighing themselves. One person has to balance on their left foot after weighing in, the other on their right. It may not be necessary to do this balancing act if your weights are wildly different, but Steve and I are very close in weight, so it's definitely necessary. This acrobatic may be a problem for some people, and I do have to admit that sometimes I have to grab the windowsill to make sure I don't fall over. Wise, on the other hand, allows you to add up to 10 users in the app. You add each user with a nickname while identifying them further with their gender and height. When it asked for my gender, the app said it understood that male versus female might not fully identify someone. I like that they acknowledge that, but they do have to ask that binary question because BMI is calculated differently for women versus men. So far, the Y scale is ahead with the ability to have 10 users rather than two for withings. The downside to the WISE scale allowing multiple users is that you have to have the WISE app open on your phone while you weigh yourself so it knows who's weighing in. It's a bit of a pain, but I think the flexibility of multiple users is worth it. Plus, no balancing act required. WISE does require you to have the app open because it uses Bluetooth to connect, while WISE uses Wi-Fi. If you're trying to limit the number of smart devices on your, ne on your network, you might prefer the WISE scale since it uses Bluetooth. I compared my weight on the two scales over a few days, and surprisingly, they were actually within a couple of tenths of a pound of each other. Have you ever seen two scales agree before? Sadly, I think that means the weight's right. Well, the fun of a smart scale is collecting metrics over time so that you can look at graphs and watch for trends. It's so easy to lie to yourself if you don't track your weight, but if you see that line going up, you know you can take corrective action quickly before things get out of control. The Withings scale measures and graphs your weight along with percentage body fat, muscle mass, bone mass, water, and your BMI as a function of time. You can see these graphs over a period of all time, year, quarter, month, or even just use pinch to zoom in and out to see a particular time frame. The Withings scale definitely beats the Y scale on the number of metrics graphed. Now, WISE actually does measure even more values about you, but only graphs weight and body percentage. To be honest, as compelling as Bart's argument about the percentage water was, I do find I pretty much only look at the weight graph. For me, having just the weight and body fat percentage graphed is just fine. However, both scales struggle with measuring body fat percentage. The Withing scale showed me as being in the 40% range of body fat for the first seven months I owned it. For some reason, I never thought to question whether that made sense. I am not the shining example of physical fitness, but I'm also not fat. It turns out 40% body fat is in the morbidly obese category. After seven months, though, my body fat metric in the Withing scale suddenly plummeted, and for the next couple of years, it showed me in the mid 20% category for body fat, which is a healthy percentage weight or percentage for women. I checked Steve's metrics for the same time period, and his also cut in half at the same time. Looks like maybe Withings changed their algorithm to be more correct. Now, while this was, in great, this was great, in December of 2019, the Withings scale simply stopped measuring it at all for me. The data on the graph stopped suddenly for that metric while it continued to plot all of the rest. While I'm weighing myself, the scale briefly says body fat with an X next to it. Now, after I finished writing this up, the Withings scale started measuring my body fat again. I'm not kidding you. It hasn't done it since December 20th of uh, 2019, and it just started it right after I wrote up this article. 
Oh, well. But so that's the that's the whiffing scale. So it was off by a factor of two, at least. I think on Steve, it might even have been a factor of three. And for me, it was off by a factor of two and then simply stopped recording it and then started up again. But I can't give a win to Wise either because that scale seems to, seems to be simply throwing a dart to guess my body fat. It ranged in six days of testing from 40.4% to 25.1%. I'm pretty sure body fat percentage doesn't actually swing 15 points from day to day. Steve has also noticed it giving errant results for his body fat with the Y scale. It's registering about triple the percentage of the Withing scale for him. I contacted Wise about the body fat percentages over text chat, and Jeff was super responsive and helpful. He was clearly sending me stock articles, but they were very helpful targeted articles to this exact problem. There's a fair number of factors that can cause your body fat numbers to be off. One thing he pointed out was that you have to make sure that your knees aren't touching each other. That makes sense since it measures up one leg and down the other. I ran a test and with nothing or just my thighs touching, it measured 25.1%. But if I let my knees touch, it popped up to 35.3%. I thought for sure Jeff had found the problem. The bad news is that uh, the last time I measured myself, it was back up to 35.3% with no knocking knees. Steve's body fat percentage via the Y scale is reporting over 30% body fat, which is more than triple his body fat, according to other measurement techniques, including measurements by his doctor and by just looking at him. I'm not sure what the heck is wrong, but hey, maybe in seven months, the Y scale will figure it out just like the Withing scale did. I listed all of the metrics withings graphs and explained that Wise only graphs weight and body, body fat percentage. Wise actually does record more metrics than withings. It just doesn't plot them on a graph. It's also hard to find. It's right there in front of you, but it's hard to see, I guess I should say. At the top of the screen is a box showing your body fat and muscle mass and body water percentages. If you tap on one of these metrics, it reveals the definition of that metric. But below those three numbers is a wee tiny light gray downward chevron that's nearly impossible to notice. When tapped, it reveals way more metrics. In addition to, the, uh, to what Withings measures, Wise measures lean body mass, protein, visceral fat, BMR, and metabolic age. In the Wise app, you can tap on any of those metrics and get the explanation. I jumped right to metabolic age because I like it. It says I'm only 59 when my chronological age is 62. Wise told me that exercise builds healthy muscle tissue and improves your metabolic age. All this exercise finally pays off. All right, let's talk bottom line here. I have to say that if I were making a decision between these two scales, the Wise scale would win hands down. While the Withing scale graphs more metrics, which is cool to see, and appears to be more accurately measuring my body fat percentage, the Wise scale wins for measuring more things about you. The apps for both scales will connect into Apple Health, so you can use those tools to watch for trends. The ease on the Ys, though, of adding up to 10 users compared to only two and having to balance on one foot with Withings is a big win for Ys as well. Having to keep the app open is a little bit annoying on Ys, but we have our phones pretty close by these days, so it's probably not that big of a deal for people. Neither scale can accurately and consistently measure my body fat percentage, so that's not really a differentiator. But on top of all those wins for Wise, it's $20 versus $150 for the Withing scale. 
I'd have no hesitation recommending the Wise Scale from Wise.com. And no, I don't own stock in Wise like my daughter-in-law claims I do. One of the easiest and least expensive ways you can help support the show is by encouraging people to join in the fun. You can do that by corning them when they can't escape and regaling them with stories of awesomeness of the podcast like Dean does. Alternatively, though, you could go into Apple Podcasts and write a review like Mike Price, Andrew Darlow, and Donna Ray all did recently. It brings more people to the community, which means more fun. Here's something odd I just noticed. There's a fair number of reviews for the Nocillacast, but Chitrat Across the Pond and Chitrat Across the Pond Light and Programming by Stealth could all use some love. Would you believe that there are zero reviews for Chitrat Across the Pond Light? I mean, nothing. It says zero out of five stars because there are no reviews at all. If you get anything out of Chit Chat Across the Pond Light, I'd sure appreciate it if you could go click those stars and go check the other podcasts while you're at it. Now let's return to our regularly scheduled programming. Good morning, Allison and the Nocilla Castaways. This is Jonathan, also known as Nuclear John in the Slack and very occasionally live chat. When the quarantine started, like many others, I began working from home. This meant I had to convert my home office that was generally focused around my aging gaming PC to work with my 16-inch MacBook Pro that I use for work. It also meant adding an extra desk for my better half to also work from home. She's not super into technology, so her home computing has mostly been her iPhone and iPad and very occasionally her gaming laptop. So she didn't have an external display, and after a few days of using the laptop on the couch, was definitely ready for something a bit more ergonomic. So... We needed a new monitor. But what monitor to get, and who gets the new shiny? Thankfully, she's a wonderful person, and let me have the new shiny. So, what monitor to get? We should talk about the monitors for consideration. I actually already had one, the HP Envy 27-inch UHD 4K IPS monitor with micro-edge bezel and AMD FreeSync in black. Link in the show notes. And I really like this monitor. So it wouldn't take much convincing for me to just grab a second one and it costs about $500 on Amazon. I also looked at the top wire cutter pick for 4K monitors, which is the HP Z27 27-inch 4K UHD monitor. Link in the show notes. And this one has good reviews, and I generally trust the wire cutter recommendations, so this one is definitely in consideration at only $539 from HP. The top wire cutter pick for 24-inch monitors is the Dell 24 UltraSharp monitor U2415. Like the HP, I trust the wire cutter recommendations, and this one's actually only $339.99, so it's definitely in contention on price alone. And then there were the big two in this space, the LG Ultrafine 4K and LG Ultrafine 5K sold by Apple. They are $699.95 and $1,299.95, respectively. Since they're sold and supported by Apple directly, or indirectly since they're made by LG, Whatever. They're definitely in contention because they have all that cool macOS integration. We should talk about some of the criteria for actually getting this new monitor. If I was going to plunk down several hundred dollars of hard-earned money for a new monitor, I wanted to make sure that it was going to last a while. And since I have the fancy new 16-inch MacBook Pro with the port of the future, that's the USB-C and Thunderbolt 3, I wanted a monitor that could take full advantage of that. And that is run power and data over the one cable. And actually, this criteria is pretty easy. Most of the monitors, except for the Dell, have this option. 
One of the new hobbies I've gotten into over the past few months is programming, thanks to Programming by Stealth and Barbie Shots. And more specifically, I've been dabbling in iOS programming. There are a few things that I know iOS can do, but I can't find an app that'll do it, and there aren't any shortcuts actions in the shortcuts app that'll do it either. So I have set off on an adventure to solve them myself. But that's another show. The guys over on ATP, the Accidental Tech Podcast, discussed external monitors and their setups for iOS development from time to time. And based on those discussions, I knew I wanted a monitor that was at least close to Retina, so the iOS simulator will work properly. This turned out to actually be a more complicated question than I originally thought. When it was originally introduced in the iPhone 4, yes, Retina has been around since 2010, it was basically enough pixels that your eye can't distinguish between them at a normal distance. But the actual specification is much more complicated. And even now, I'm not sure I fully understand it. But I finally found a website that can help make sense of this from Mark Edwards. Again, a recommendation from the ATP guys. And this basically narrowed it down to the LG Ultrafine displays. I only had to decide how much money I wanted to spend. Now let's quickly go through the comparison chart over on LG to see what the differences are. A few things that aren't different are the accessories in the box, the stand, the IO selection, and the speakers. They're all basically the same. But there are a few key differences. One thing that the 4K has going for it is it's slightly brighter. It's 540 candelas versus 500 candelas of the 5K. Quick side note, the candela is a unit of luminous intensity that has been weighted to model the sensitivity of the human eye. One candela is approximately the light intensity of a single wax candle, hence the name. Or you could use the deprecated but way cooler sounding candle power to express the units of luminous intensity. Let's get back on track. The 5K has a higher resolution, a whole extra K, and a larger screen, three extra inches on the diagonal. But something you may not notice, it also has a built-in webcam and microphone, which Allison says is pretty good. The webcam, at least. On the other hand, it is almost twice the cost. I ended up going with the LG Ultrafine 4K from Apple. This seemed to be a good compromise between price and features, since I already have a Logitech C920 webcam and the ATR2100, and now also an X version. And the larger screen resolution combo wasn't really worth doubling the price to me. We should briefly talk about why I originally hesitated on getting the LG displays and why I looked at any other monitors to begin with. And that was the generally poor reviews from the initial launch, and everyone saying they weren't very reliable. One thing that I found out when researching is that LG actually updated both the 4K and 5K ultrafine displays in 2019. I can't find a good comparison between the old versions and the new versions, so I don't really know what's changed, but I was hoping that they fixed some of the reliability issues that people originally had issues with. I was finally ready to place my order for a new monitor and get the new shiny. It took forever to arrive, like three or four days. But eventually it showed up on my doorstep and I excitedly unpacked it and set it up. After decontaminating, of course. I was also planning on using my laptop monitor along with the LG, so I also got a laptop stand to get it to the right height. After doing some research, I went with the M stand from Rain Design, since it was well-reviewed and not crazy expensive, around $40, considering I just spent $700 on a new monitor. 
the monitor came pre-assembled, so all I had to do was get it out of the box and plug it in, which was pretty easy. One power cable from the monitor to the wall, and one included Thunderbolt cable from the monitor to the laptop to carry the display signal and power. And like magic, it worked. The laptop display flashed a little bit, and then both displays started working. I got the display in early April, so I've had about a month and a half since then. And I haven't had a single complaint since I got it. I don't know if the 2019 update from LG fixed some of the reliability issues, or maybe I just got extremely lucky with the one that I got. Either way, I'm very happy. I don't really miss the extra size of the 27-inch monitor. 24 seems to be pretty good size for me in my workflow. And there are those neat benefits that come with integration from macOS that non-Apple or at least non-Apple supported monitors can't really take advantage of. Things like integrating with the keyboard and touch bar settings. On the MacBook Pro, the touch bar shows separate sliders for volume and screen brightness. But when the LG display is plugged in, it also shows sliders for the screen brightness and volume of the external display, which is pretty cool. So if you're looking for a new monitor for your laptop, I can fully recommend the LG Ultrafine 4K from Apple. As long as you're willing to deal with the compromises of not having the 5K and are willing to pay a little more than you can find in other monitors for a higher DPI screen. Thank you so much, Jonathan. That was terrific. It was nice and detailed, had a lot of different options in it. I really, really got a lot out of that. So Jonathan mentioned knowing that LG had fixed their quality programs, or pro- sorry, quality problems, but didn't remember what the problem was with their high-res monitors when they first came out. The original 5K LG monitors had a shielding problem that caused radio frequency interference problems with Wi-Fi routers. The good news is LG did fix the problem in 2017. I put a link in the show notes to an article explaining the problem and how LG fixed it. I too was trepidatious about getting an LG monitor after the problems described, but Steve bought me the 5K, it's at least four years ago, and it has been rock solid for me. Looking back, I'm wondering if I would have been fine with the 4K for half the price. In any case, I can back John up on how great these displays are. Having all those pixels and screen real estate while providing Thunderbolt 3 interface, or shall I call it the port of the future, trademark nuclear John, to charge my Mac and have full speed peripherals is fantastic. As he mentioned, the webcam in the 5K LG display is really good. I hate to admit this, but lately I've noticed sometimes I'm choosing the LG's webcam over my Logitech C920 because the color correction seems a little bit better. Color, I don't know, the color looks better to me. Now, that's kind of a big endorsement because I love my Logitech C920. I also use the speakers built into the display all the time, and they sound great to me. However, I'm far from being an audiophile because I listen primarily to spoken word rather than music, so you probably don't want to base your monitor decision on my endorsement of the speakers in the 5K LG. I did ask Steve to listen to the LG playing More Than a Feeling by Boston. This is a song he always uses because it's got a lot of low and high end in it. He compared the sound to the 27-inch iMac speakers, and he said it was at least comparable. The iMac is a little tinny on the high end, and the LG is a little bit muddy on the low end. Overall, he said that for speakers and a flat panel monitor, he'd give it a rating of pretty good. Thanks again for the review, Jonathan, and I sure hope you find more stuff to review for us because that was better than pretty good. It was terrific. Do you need another menu bar app? Absolutely. You always need another menu bar app. Now, do you need another calendar menu bar app? Well, maybe. 
I've been using the calendar menu bar app functionality within iStat menus from Bajango.com for years, but I may just supplant it with a new favorite called ItsyCal from Mowgli.com. Let's walk through how iStat menus provides this functionality, and then I'll tell you about the adorable and useful ItsyCal. I like the calendar implementation in iStat menus because it's configurable to as much or as little information in the menu bar as you like. I choose to have it say the day and time along with the date. The date is shown as a tiny calendar icon with a red banner across the top and just the number of the date. So as I was writing this up, it said SAT 06 colon 41 space 6, where the 6 is in the red and white box telling me it was June 6th. It's compact and gets me all the information I need in a quick glance. If you tap on the iStamp Menus Calendar menu bar app, it drops down to show you a month at a glance and any upcoming events from your calendar. Your events for the day can be tailored to choosing which of your calendars you want to display and whether you want to see today or if you want to see the next seven days worth of events. The month view of the calendar also allows you to flip month to month, and from there you can click on any day and see the events from that day as well. At the bottom of the dropdown is a handy calendar icon that lets you pop open the full calendar. The calendar menu bar app for MyStep Menus can also display a set of user-configurable world clocks. I have mine set to show Dublin for Bart, along with Wellington for Marianne and Alistair, Berlin for Klaus, and Kyoto for Kaylee. At a glance, I can see whether pinging any of them with a question will be unnoticed because it's the middle of the night for them. Now, that doesn't stop me from bothering them. It just lets me target when I bother them. Of course, iStamp Menus is spectacular for way more cool features than just a menu bar calendar app. As I was writing this up, I just realized I never did a full tutorial on all of the features of iStamp Menus for the NoCellaCast. I've done a uh, screencast for Screencast Online on iStamp Menus and even an update one on iStamp Menus 6, but I've never done a full one for the NoCellaCast. Unless I'm wrong, I did a search, but I couldn't find it, so it sure seems like I would have. I'm a huge fan of iStep menus, and I wouldn't give it up for anything. But perhaps there's a better calendar menu bar app. Let's shift gears now and talk about ItsyCal from Mowgli.com. I love both the name of the app and the website. When Pat Dengler first told me about ItsyCal, my immediate reaction was that there was no way it could be better than iStep menus. But I gave it a try because it was donationware and because Pat usually only sends me very cool stuff. At the very least, I figured if I tested it and I liked it, maybe those of you who don't use iStep menus would find it useful. I'll put a spoiler out right here. It's very rare for me to talk about a product and then tell you that I don't like it. It happens, but it's very rare. In other words, I really like ItsyCal. I'm such a menu bar app addict, thanks to the late great Tim Verporten, that I have a lot of trouble figuring out which one is which at a glance. I have to use Bartender to hide the ones I don't use often just to narrow it down to a manageable number. ItsyCal's unique menu bar icon makes it a huge plus for me. The developer gives you two options to make it stand out. By default, the icon is a black, rounded rectangle with white text. I have zero other menu bar app icons that look like this. It is impossible to miss. In the preferences, under appearance, you can choose to have a lovely rounded rectangle outline of the date instead. It's clean and simple and so easy to find out what day it is at a glance. This is especially important for us right now because many of us have been struggling lately to keep track of the day. I heard it called Blur's Day on the Daily Tech News Show recently. 
The drop-down for ItzyCal shows you a similar view to the one I described in iStep Menus. I think it's a bit cleaner and more modern looking to me, but of course, something like design aesthetic is completely a matter of taste. You know how when you're viewing a month of a calendar, there's always days spilling into it from the previous and the next month? So you have to use mental horsepower to avoid thinking about the 31 from May and the 1 to 4 from July when you're looking at the June calendar? Well, ItzyCal lessens that load by wrapping the days of just the current month with a rounded rectangle. I've never seen that done before, and my brain needs all the assistance it could get at isolating just what I need to look at. I didn't mention it when I talked about iStep menus, but both calendar dropdowns show little colored dots under each day to designate if there are any events from any of your calendars on those days. With ItzyCal, you can use the appearance preference to toggle off the dots, or you can make them monochromatic. Not sure why you'd want to do that, but evidently someone asked for it. It does just put one dot instead of all of the dots from all of the different colored calendars, so maybe people just want a dot like, I've got something there. Like iStep menus, you can flip from month to month with ItzyCal and choose different dates to view. Also in ItzyCal's preferences, you can choose to show the event location and calendar week numbers. Financial people really like those week numbers for some reason. In that same appearances menu, you can make the entire dropdown larger text. As a certified old person, I can vouch for how wonderful that option is. As I mentioned, iStep menu shows you events on the currently selected day and allows you to expand that for up to seven days worth of information. ItzyCal, on the other hand, has an option in the general preferences to show anything from one to seven days. So you can pick one, two, three, four, five, six, or seven days. You can also choose 14 days or even 31 days of events. Even with my incredibly unbusy schedule, 31 days is nuts. But, you know, a week's worth is kind of handy. Above the list of events for the upcoming days is a separator bar with a few icons. The most glorious one is the plus button. Believe it or not, this allows you to make calendar events without opening up the full Apple calendar. From that little pop-out window, you can enter all of the usual things, including location, date, and time, how often you want to repeat it, and for how long. You can choose the calendar to which you want to add the event, and you can even add an alert. About the only things you can't do are add multiple alerts. I often set two or three for important events. You can't add notes, and you can't invite other people to the calendar event. But for 90% of our needs, this is really quick a nice, quick, and easy way to create a calendar event. In that same section, there's a calendar icon, which, when clicked, simply opens your calendar. Next to it is a pin, which helpfully pins the ItzyCal drop-down calendar on screen, so it doesn't disappear while you, say, flip to another app to check something. The gear icon in that same row opens ItzyCal preferences, or you can simply use Command-Comma while you've got ItzyCal revealed. By the way, did you know Command-Comma is the keystroke for preferences in just about every macOS app? I noticed Don McAllister do it in a Screencast Online video once, and then I noticed him do it in another one, and then another one, and it finally got through to my thick skull that it's everywhere. Anyway, back to the appearance preferences. You can choose to highlight a specific day. For example, if you have weekends off, you may want to have a faint gray bar over the columns for Saturday and Sunday. I think it's a kind of nice effect, especially for those of us now referring regularly to Blur's Day. ItzyCal also supports dark mode if you're of that persuasion. In the general preferences, you can choose any day to be the start of the week, have ItzyCal launch it login, and choose which calendars to show. Now, I'm completely 
totally addicted to clocks, so I also have to have the time available to me on my screen. Sure, I've got a watch on my arm and I've got a clock right behind me when I'm at my desk, but I need more clocks. ItzyCal is a very odd implementation of time for its menu bar app. In the Appearance tab of Preferences, there's a text box where you can enter a date-time pattern. And date-time is stuck together as one word. And there's a reason for that. There's a question mark next to it that links to a long web page explaining all of the options you can put into date-time pattern. If you enter something like H colon MM, and that's a lowercase h, if you enter H colon MM into the date-time pattern box, the menu bar will show the time as 9.954, for example. If you enter H colon MM space A, it will add the AM PM to the time. If you change that lowercase h to a capital H, you get the 24-hour time. Now, I call this an odd implementation of adding time to ItzyCal, but if you've been taking programming by stealth, it doesn't look odd to you at all. You see, the students of BART's programming class have been working on building web apps to show the time. This nomenclature used by ItzyCal is exactly what we've been using in doing our homework. But here's the thing. When you're done configuring the time, you'll notice that it's not inside the little black or outline date created by ItzyCal. It's just plain old text sitting to the right of it. I turned on the macOS system clock from time and date preferences, and it looked exactly the same to me. I wrote to Sanjay, the developer, and asked him whether it's ever going to be inside the box. And he said, no, not anytime soon. And he said, if I look more closely, it's actually a little bit more compact than the one from the system. Oh, well. The main benefit of using the ItzyCal time is that it always stays to the right of the date as you move the menu bar app while holding down the command key and drag your apps around to rearrange them. You did know that command lets you reorder them, right? Well, the bottom line is that I think ItzyCal is a delightful little menu bar app that has some very slick features. I've disabled the calendar from iStep menus for the time being to see if I definitely like it better. I will miss not having the time in New Zealand at the tip of my fingers to know whether it's a good time to interrupt Alistair at work with my frivolous questions, but perhaps this will be a benefit to him. You can find ItzyCal at Mowgli.com, that's M-O-W-G-L-I-I.com, and if you like it, be sure to donate to the developer. I donated $10 to Sanjay for such a fun little app that solves the right problem in a very pretty way. I have a favor to ask you guys. Usually, if I take any kind of vacation, I ask Alistair or Bart to do the show for me. But I'm not going to do that this year. We're going to go on a mini little just try to get away from everything for a change of scenery vacation. And I would really like to have you guys send in reviews and tiny tips, anything you got to help me make a full-size show while we're gone. I should be able to do some content and it will be a Security Bits week, but anything I can get from you guys would really help me out. So this is, uh, let's see, it, let me look at my ItzyCal calendar here. We will be gone on the 22nd of June that week. So if you guys could get me something by the week ending the 20th of June, and that way I knew I, well, maybe the middle of the week, maybe by the 17th of June, I'd really appreciate it. If you're sure you're going to do something, if you're positive, but you can't get it done by then, shoot me a note and tell me you're positive you're going to do it. And then I can uh, go on this little tiny holiday with, uh, with peace and calm. 
Well, that is going to wind us up for this week. As I said, don't forget to send in your reviews to allison at podfeet.com. They can be dumb questions as well, even comments. Don't forget to go over and do some reviews over an Apple podcast as well. You can follow me on Twitter at Podfeet. Remember, everything good starts with podfeet.com. If you want to become a patron, podfeet.com slash Patreon. Want to join or maybe give some uh, donations via PayPal? podfeet.com slash PayPal. Want to join our community? You can do that in Slack at podfeet.com slash Slack or through Facebook at podfeet.com slash Facebook. And if you want to join in the fun of the live show like Michelle did after having been gone for years and years, you can head on over to podfeet.com slash live on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific time and join the friendly and enthusiastic Nocella Castaways. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.